I have been scalding my fucking breast milk for the last month. And today we're going to be trying out my scalded breast milk, frozen scalded <laughs> breast milk. I'll be let to see if she'll take it. I don't even know why I'm trying. If she won't take it. I give up. I'm just going to donate all my breast milk because I don't want to hey, deal Kate, with this Hey, Kate, I want you to yeah. know that I'm an executive member of Costco. And I buy Kirkland Signature Formula. It's cheaper than Similac, which is the person who probably makes it. Like, this just sounds like a lot of freaking work. Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Greetings, greetings to another episode of Model Minority Moms. We are on our second time around series, and what's just as controversial as sleep? It's feeding. Every baby's got to do it. And one thing I never realized before I had a kid was that babies' stomachs are small and they get bigger over time. I always just thought everyone's stomach was the same size, but it's not. And boy, do we really learn that the hard way when we have kids. So, Kate, it's your second time around. How has feeding changed for you? And yeah, what have you been learning about it? Oh, man, I feel like the theme of every time I talk about my two kids, like, the opposite. The opposite. Nothing is the same. Keeping me on my toes. Okay, so Raya was mostly bottle fed. I pumped a lot. I luckily had a lot of supply. And she would only breastfeed at night after like, you know, a few months. And, you know, never had any issues. Took to the bottle just fine, whatever. And basically weaned herself right around age one. Okay. So this time around, I was like, well, you know, I'd like to like breastfeed because I don't know about you guys, but I really hate like washing and cleaning bottle pump parts and like having to worry about lugging a pump and like bottles and like how to sanitize them when I'm out and about, especially now that, you know, the world has been opening up right before when I was with Raya, we were going nowhere because it was COVID lockdown. So I was like, I really want breastfeeding to work this time. I even hired a lactation consultant like ahead of time. We had a prenatal consult. I booked her a visit like four days after Lila was born. And basically, I don't know how to TLDR it, but we had a lot of issues. Like the best way I can describe it is the way that Nero put it. It's like basically Leela was born like a stroke patient. She didn't know how to eat because babies in utero, they practice the act of sucking, right? And swallowing. And then also they practice putting their tongue to the roof of their mouth, a hard palate. Guess what? I guess Leela didn't get to do that very much in utero because when she came out, she like didn't really know the sensation of her tongue touching the palate, which is what your tongue does when you swallow, right? Just think about when you suck and swallow fluid, your tongue is like moving everywhere in the mouth, right? Basically, she didn't know how to do that, felt foreign, she freaked the fuck out. And like, she literally couldn't suck milk. Uh, And the only way she was getting milk was because I have a really strong letdown. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's like when your milk, you know, comes in and uh, it's like coming out, whether you're pumping or sucking and like the milk just for some people, it just comes out really fast. It like spurts you in the face. Like mine has always spurted my babies in the face. Can we just maybe describe it more for people who haven't breastfed or who aren't moms? It's like, yes. I think I, I don't really know the physics of it, but it's like the muscles in your boob just like contract. They contract. Exactly. Right? And it just pushes the milk out. Exactly. Yeah. And for some people, it's just, you know, it's normal. Like it comes out like a little bit more evenly. Mine, literally, it's like the fucking geyser. It just like spurts <laughs> out. And so that was the only way she was getting full is because she wasn't doing any work. She would just like, you know, suck a couple times, get frustrated, but then the milk would come out. Like I was feeding her literally like my boobs were feeding her, but she wasn't feeding herself. Right. Basically we, let me tell you. So we got the lactation consultant and then the lactation consultant was like, well, I think you should see this cranial psychotherapist to kind of diagnose her and see because, oh, by the way, because my baby was sucked out with a vacuum, she was stuck in my birth canal for a long ass time. So that apparently can cause a lot of tension 
in the baby's like head and neck, which can also affect their feeding. So then we paid like out of pocket for cranial sacral therapist who was like, she definitely has a tongue tie, lip tie and a sensitive palate, which is what happens when your tongue isn't used to touching the roof of your mouth. And then we had to go get a pediatric dentist who was like, yep, that definitely has the ties. Would you like me to excise both? We're like, well, let's just do the tongue tie for now. Then we had to do the tongue tie. And then we had to do like three weeks worth of like massages, exercises. And then we also saw a pediatric occupational therapist who was like, well, you have to do all these other exercises because blah, 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 blah. So that was like the first three months. And it was insane because I also was not sleeping because she had to eat every hour and a half. Because she just wasn't eating very much. Yeah, she literally couldn't ingest milk. Like she didn't know how to suck. And so before we had the tongue tie, the phrenectomy, as it's called, procedure and had to do all the exercises. Yeah, I was really sleeping an hour, hour and a half increments. And that totally sucked. Ass. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, she refused a bottle for the first two and a half months. So I couldn't even outsource feeding to anybody else. Not even our poor, like, you know, postpartum nanny, Chinese postpartum nanny. And so, yeah, it's like, oh, and she wouldn't take a pacifier for the first like two months. So finally, one day she took a pacifier and then slowly she started taking like a bottle, not the best one that all the OTs and everybody else likes, but you know, at least it was like a change. I could outsource like some of the feeding. Wait, is the best bottle Dr. Brown? Uh, so yeah, Dr. Brown's is one of them. And the other one is called Lansano. These are the two that are recommended for breastfed infants. It slow flow slash mimics the boob better, et cetera, et cetera. It promotes a deep latch right? That kind of thing. So yeah, that was like the first three months and it totally sucked because, you know, it affected every aspect of my life and we should do a whole other episode maybe on this, but I have so many feels about this whole process. It's really, really tough. And if your kid has any of these things, my heart really goes out to you. So yeah, that's been most of the feeding journey. Now, you know, all of that, I guess I would say eventually did pay off because right around three, three and a half months, Lila was able to like, you know, actually ingest like more than 40 milliliters at a time. How many ounces, 40 milliliters? That's like, so I think one ounce is 30 milliliters, right? Oh my goodness. He was only able to eat maybe like an ounce, an ounce and a half at a time for the first two and a half, three months. Okay, just for reference for like our listeners, I mean, I think like a more kind of typical range would be anywhere from like three to six ounces per feeding exactly. for her for that age. So she's like eating one third of the low rate, low end of that range. Yeah. Yeah. It totally sucked. <laughs> so was the outcome of that she ate more often yes. or that outcome, was she underweight or? No. So actually what the weird thing is, that's why it pissed me off. The pediatrician was like, oh, you know, she's lost some weight. She was born at, I think like 20th percentile weight and she dropped down to fifth. And I was like a little worried. But the pediatrician was like, oh, she has good like fat reserve. I'm not too worried. Things will work themselves out with feeding. I'm like, I don't know how long I want to wait for things to work themselves out. And even if she looks like she's fine, but the lactation consultant said it, she was like, given how good your milk supply is, Lila should be gaining even more weight than she is, right? So it's just interesting, one of those gray areas like we talked about before, Jeanette, with like medicine, right? It's like, okay, technically she's like healthy, but could she be gaining more weight? Well, yeah. Because, you know, if she could eat more, she'd definitely be gaining more weight, you know, duh. Anyway, yeah. So, but right around three and a half, three, three and a half months, things got better. She was able to sustain longer feeds. She'd be able to go three hours between feeds during the day. But let's be honest, what, she's five months now? She can do three to four hours between feeds during the day, but at night she's still eating like three times. You know, that's how it is. But the nice thing is I did get my wish that she does breastfeed and I don't have to lug around pump parts everywhere. And now that she'll take a bottle, I can also outsource feeding. But to be honest, whoever said like breastfeeding is free, it's really not fucking free. Like it can be very expensive. I know pretty much most of my friends who've tried to breastfeed have encountered some sort of issue. 
right? Whether it's like baby lip tongue tie or the mom has like low milk supply or something. I mean, Susan, you have your own story there. I know as well. It's just such a insane situation. And then remember during the formula like crisis, which apparently is still going on. We just don't hear about it anymore. There are all these memes that were like, oh, just breastfeed, you know, then you don't have to go look for formula. And I just wanted to be like, you who said just go breastfeed it's not that easy and it is certainly not free because we spent thousands of dollars on the like lactation consultant the ot the pediatric dentist because the pediatric dentist wouldn't take our dental insurance i mean an insane amount of money to feed my kid breast milk from my boob wait that was thousands of dollars out of pocket well yeah like the whole procedure the pediatric dentist the tongue tie procedure was like a couple thousand dollars and our health because the pediatric dentist doesn't take your health care insurance and they wouldn't take our dental insurance, which our dental insurance sucked anyway. But we wanted to use this pediatric dentist because it was, Raya had seen her. She came heavily recommended by our other providers. I was like, you know, I'd rather pay out of pocket for someone that I know is really good than to like, just go find some rando person who takes our insurance. And luckily we could afford it, right? You know, I mean, that's not cheap. And then the OT was like, oh, I don't take insurance anymore because the insurance reimbursement is really annoying. So that was $500 out the window just to see the OT, you know, plus like each cranial sacral therapy session is like $100. And that's definitely out of pocket. Insurance doesn't cover that because they think it's too woo woo. I did get my lactation consult reimbursed though. So that was good. But that's still like thousands of dollars. Wait, can you explain to me why like tongue tie is so common that when your kid is born? Oh my God, I can tell Like, you. why doesn't the nurse just look and be like, I'm going to clip okay, it right I'm so now. Excited. Like, I'm like, why is it always such a surprise? Case adrenaline is like coursing through her veins. She's jumping up and down. I know. I'm so excited. I learned so much about this. Okay. So <laughs> yes, you are right. Once I asked the world about it, the social media world, I got so many replies from people who were like, yeah, my kid had a tongue tie, lip tie. And I'm like, dude, why is this so common now? And like, is it being, you know, I was like, is it being overdiagnosed? So I asked her cranial sacral therapist, who is also a doula, and she's been doing this for like 20 some years. She's like, look, Back in the day, nobody gave a shit if kids, babies had tongue or lip ties because, you know, if the moms are breastfeeding, a lot of kids do eventually grow out of it naturally. Some don't, some do. But the main issue is for most moms, breastfeeding is really painful, right? Because the baby's latch isn't correct when they have a tongue and or lip tie. But who cares if the mom is in pain when they breastfeed, right? Because back in the day, like most pediatricians were men and like nobody really cared about the mom's pain. And she said, you know, if you lived like in a village, if things were painful with breastfeeding, you could always outsource to like a family member or, you know, when there are bottles, you could just, you know. Like a wet nurse, I think. Yeah, like a wet nurse or even a family member if you're really poor. Like if you lived in a village and you couldn't afford a wet nurse. Like you had a sister who just had a baby or something. Exactly. Exactly. Susan's like has a quizzical look on her face. Wait, what? I mean, like, because they were like, my baby's now six months. Oh, sure. I'll just take on another. Well, no, usually it's the first three months of the hardest. That's because babies, when they're so small, achieving a correct latch um, and being able to ingest kind of like more milk is really hard, right? So functionally, it's the hardest when they're newborns. For a lot of babies with lip and tongue ties, even if they go untreated, I think anecdotally, it does get better over time. But that means like multiple months of pain for the breastfeeding mom right? Like a lot of women, I didn't because I have a really strong letdown. But for women who don't have a strong letdown and they have like a normal or low supply, imagine like a baby like chomping at your nipple because they can't get a correct latch. I mean, that's really painful, right? Yeah. And so if you can go to formula and or pump and bottle feed, you do, right? Or if you live in a place where there's like a more communal environment, like, you know, you live in a village, then you like off source your baby to maybe your cousin or your sister or whatever. The doula said that's what happened back in the day. And also, Susan, I'll answer your question, why nurses can't diagnose a lip or tongue tie and not even pediatricians is because it is not part of the medical school or nursing school curriculum. And this is a longstanding debate between pediatric dentists and 
regular pediatricians, they hate each other over this matter because pediatricians think that they're superior because they went to medical school and dentists are failed, want to be, go to med school, but couldn't get into med school. But pediatric dentists are the ones who understand, can diagnose and treat lip and tongue ties. I do remember that Ruth, when she was younger, she had like a pretty thick kind of uh, membrane. Yeah, it's called a frenulum. No, under her top lip, the kind of whatever, like the piece of flesh that connected from under her front lip through her front teeth into her palate. It was pretty thick. And so I was asking the dentist, she's like, oh, yeah, it does look like it. If it interferes with her feeding, then maybe we can do something. But if it's not, then it's fine. But then I asked my pediatrician about it. She's like, no, we don't like believe in that. We don't believe that that's like a problem. Exactly. I mean, for us, it wasn't a big deal because she didn't really struggle with feeding. But now that you mention it, I remember that comment being like, my doctor was just basically like, oh, yeah, that's not a thing. Well, just to give you an example. So my father-in-law is a pediatrician. Nerev told him about it. And he was basically like, baby will grow out of it. It's not a real thing right? Because he's, he's old school. And then even our pediatrician, who's about the same age as my father-in-law, he was actually, he, he was a little bit more diplomatic. He's like, look, you know, I'm not, this is not my area of expertise. It doesn't look like she has a tongue tie or a lip tie, but what do I know? I've been proven wrong, right? So, but he was basically saying, I don't really believe in it, but okay, I've had patients who like prove me wrong, right? And the hilarious thing is that our pediatric dentist, her kids went to our pediatrician and they actually had a little combo about Leela's feeding situation when she took her kids to see him. They agreed to mutually disagree, basically, with that, like, you know what I mean? But it can get really political because pediatricians sometimes will even completely deny it. It's not because they're trying to be ignorant. It's like they're literally not trained in that area. And also there is some defensiveness, I think, among some pediatricians because they feel like the pediatric dentists are, like, incurring upon their territory. I mean, it's really annoying, actually, this whole politics. Can people just update their freaking curriculum? Apparently, the med school curriculum is, no, it's not that easy to... Yeah, I also think that it's hard to change perceptions. This is like kind of my hypothesis, right? Which is like some medical practice or assumptions, it just comes from somewhere. And then like, even if that original assumption comes from evidence or not, you have to have a new study or something to change people's minds. But a lot of these issues, like there's no funding for, yeah, you know, like nobody's going to spend millions of dollars doing a randomized control trial of tongue tie, you know, because there's just no money in it. And so like in the absence of that, it's really hard to change people's minds, I think. And I think this seems to occur in a variety of different medical situations, right? And I think a lot of women's health is like this too, which is there's a lot of things that are out there that are common issues, but if it's not going to be like a pharmaceutical, like patentable solution, there's just no money to change the course of treatment. Exactly. Basically, lip and tongue tie, there are no really well-studied, large-scale studies basically around it, which is why pediatricians will use that to cite that it's not a real thing. However, it's mostly because there just really isn't funding and it's a relatively newer diagnosis, right, relative to maybe other things. And, and so basically you see a lot of cases, a pediatric dentists will see a lot of cases, but they can't just put them all together and say, hey, this is a study and it should convince you guys to change, you know, how you diagnose uh, and treat it, and then therefore introduce it into the curriculum. I would say the med school curriculum, Nero says, is something like 20 years behind, something really ridiculous in a lot of ways, right? And as with many curriculums, think about our kids' history curriculums too, right? It's just very hard to change things that are that ingrained and they tend to be conservative. And so even if there is a study, it might take years to change as well. So I think that's really the problem. But what that does is it leaves a lot of families like high and dry. And I've read a lot of stories of families who got misdiagnosed or were denied or told that, oh, your son doesn't have or daughter have an issue by their pediatrician. 
and they just struggled for a long time. Luckily, you know, our lactation consultant was really good. She's seen a lot of it. We got on the right track, but that's not always the case for a lot of people, right? And so, and I think this is going to be a really touchy subject, but I'm going to say it. I really feel like it's important. There's a lot of debate around like, you know, we shouldn't shame bottle feeding or pumping or formula. And I think that's absolutely true. But I think another reason why there are a lot of women who do want to breastfeed, like nurse. I don't mean just breastfeed like pump, but I think what makes it difficult and ultimately they do end up doing formula or having to exclusively pump is because there isn't enough lactation support in our medical system for women who want to actually nurse their babies, right? I mean, Susan, remember how hard it was for you? Like you had that tailbone injury. You couldn't nurse art because like literally you couldn't sit down, right? I mean, it's just there are so many other things involved in it. No one should ever blame you for like not wanting to pump because that's a whole shitty situation. But I think around it is because there's just a lot of resources that could have been better for you. Totally. And I will say like maybe at month three postpartum, I was like, okay, maybe I could have him on me. And I like tested him a couple of times just to try. And it like, didn't really work. And my true honest answer is like, I was tired of possibly failing at something. Like I was just tired of learning something new where I'm like, now I got to go find the consultant. Now we got to like get all the things ready. And then I was like very terrified that my nipples would, I don't know, be ravaged. I, I had a couple of, you know, the mastitis thing, like you have to always yeah, yeah, massaging yeah, yeah. your boobs scary. and engorgement. It was just like too much for me. Yeah. yeah. And I admire the people who can nurse. And I sometimes I feel like me and Art are colleagues. Like sometimes I see him more as a friend than my child. Maybe like it's his own separate episode. But like, I wonder if I don't have like a really deep, intimate connection with him because of that. You know, I mean, I do, but I don't know. No, Susan, you shouldn't think that. I know. I think that sometimes of Raya too. You know, see, that's the thing. I think you exactly hit upon it, Susan, right? Which is that like to go through breastfeeding, which somebody is like, oh, it should be natural. Like it's actually very hard. Like you said, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And in the United States, we don't get breastfeeding support as like a by way of standard of care. I had to go out and find a lactation consultant, right? I had to line it up myself. My OB, you know, she was not involved. And then I had to like apply for insurance, like super bill, you know, to get it reimbursed. Like, you're right. It's like absolutely yet another thing. You know, Susan, like during this whole journey, I sometimes even thought I was like, am I just ridiculous for wanting to make like nursing work? It's become so expensive, so exhausting. Yeah. Should I just give up? But then another part of me was like, I don't want to give up. And this sounds a little bit twisted, but I was like, I don't want to prove that the system that we have in place, which is super shitty and doesn't support moms, gets to win. (laughs) I know, right? Because I was like, I want to be able to beat this system and show that I can get through it with, you know, this amount of effort and like throwing this amount of resources at it because maybe this is my last kid, you know? But it's sad that it like became this sort of battle, right? In my mind over something that many people assume is just so simple. Like you just feed your child from your breast and it should be totally natural. Yeah. I mean, I threw in the towel and went to Costco and bought the Costco brand formula. And I was like, this is going to be the most efficient for me and low stress. And Marvin can participate like very equally. And it's just like, we don't have to thaw things and like put things in the bottle warmer and get it just right. And I was just so tired at that point. And that was only three months postpartum. You know what I mean? Like I just gave up, but I don't think you should call it giving up, Susan. Don't call it give up. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know. I feel like the framework, the underlying assumption is like, okay, breastfeeding is better than formula. And I don't even think that there's necessarily like evidence that that's true. Right. And I guess I also 
feel like there's many ways of connecting with your kid, right? It doesn't have to be through nursing. I feel like I'm in a bit of an awkward situation because I am like still nursing my two-year-old and I'm like kind of in the opposite situation where I'm like trying to get her off my boo. No more juju. No more juju. I keep on telling her that and she just totally freaks out. So I'm just waiting for like the right timing. But I think I'm like, I was formula fed, right? I think many kids of our generation were formula fed. Guys, I didn't even get formula. You know what I got? I only recently learned this. You got kanji? Oh, yeah. You tell me you got gruel. Dude, <laughs> my mom breastfed me until five months because she only, she had five months maternity leave. But even during that five months, apparently I was like allergic to something in her milk. Anyway, and then she left me with like a little nanny at my grandparents' house. Guess what they fed me? Not formula. Nothing related to anything formula. It was called, uh, what do they call it in Chinese? They call it mi, uh, mi jiang, which literally translates into like rice like soup syrup thing so i got formula i got like rice rice water yeah as you know like white rice doesn't have that many nutrients in it but you know i could be so much more i probably could be like friggin i don't know einstein yes <laughs> no just kidding i'm just kidding you could have gone to stanford i know i could have got i know how did you know stanford was the only school that rejected oh, me God. Dang it, Susan, don't it remind totally me. rejected me too you know drinking rice girl only got me to harvard <laughs> oh, what a terrible life <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So for people who might be interested, there is kind of a more layperson's breakdown of studies that are available on this front in one of Emily Oster's books, which I thought was interesting and helpful. Basically, the TLDR is like, it doesn't seem to make a significant difference on many outcomes that you can measure in kids. So, you know, I feel like the underlying assumption we're talking about is like, nursing is very superior to formula. And I don't even know if that's really true. No. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a convenience factor more so because I feel like whipping out your boob is just easier than schlepping, you know, various contraptions around with you. Yeah, I think it was like a kind of a similar calculation for me as well, where my mom kind of encouraged me to do it. And her reasoning was the same. It wasn't because like, oh, you'll bond with your kid more or anything like that. Well, she fed me formula and then she fed my brother. She nursed my brother. Okay, so there's a whole thing there about why that might have been. Actually, I'll tell you. Have you talked to a therapist about this, Jeanette? I feel like. <laughs> okay, so when she was pregnant with me, they knew it was a girl. They had me. And then when she got pregnant again, they knew it was a boy when she was pregnant. Okay, my grandfather, my father's father was so elated that he just like brought her like all kinds of really rich foods to eat like eel soup and all this stuff right so it's like by the time she gave birth apparently like her boobs were just like bursting you know like with me it was hard for her to generate enough milk she had like low supply but with my brother she just like the milk was just like pouring out of her boobs or something so she breastfed my brother so there's a lot of sexism baked in there right it's just like even your family is more supportive of you because you're having a fucking son sorry so that's just a side but she was just saying that one of the things that she, her reflections on the experience and, you know, it's not like she was so explicit, like I'm reflecting on my experience and passing on my wisdom to you. She was just telling me it was so convenient with your brother because I didn't have to wash bottles. Like I didn't have to worry about mixing formula and stuff. Literally, she would just roll over, open her shirt and he would just nurse and she would just fall back asleep. She was like, it's much more convenient to nurse. So, you know, you should just try it. So that's the reason why I did it. And with Isaiah there was like a period where it was a little bit hard because essentially when I first started nursing, okay, another thing that nobody told me was when you want to get your baby off your boob and he's not done, he's still like latching onto your boob and there's still that suction. So early on, I think this will even happen at the hospital. I like just pulled him off my <gasps> boob. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
like, I don't know why I did that, but he was like still sucking and I like pulled him off and there was a bruise on my nipple that lasted for like six weeks. And it hurt so much. Like every time he nursed after that. And that was kind of the point at which I was like, that period, that initial six weeks was like, maybe I should just stop because this is super painful. But yeah, I don't know. I kept on going and then it was pretty easy after that. And then with Ruth, it was like super easy. So it just kind of happened to be easier for me, but it wasn't like, you know, in my mind, I was like, if this doesn't work, I'll do formula. It's like not a big deal. I was raised on formula. I'm fine. So yeah, just like, you know, interrogating our assumptions here, right? It's- yeah. It, well, and it's, it's so politicized, you know, formula versus not formula. And, you know, even each kid can be so different. I have a friend, actually, I've never met her IRL, Jackie, if you're listening to this. She's also a Chindian mom, meaning her kids are Chindian. We met on Instagram through the Chindian hashtag. Anyway, her first daughter was born the same time as Raya. And she exclusively pumped, like her daughter would not latch, her older daughter. So we had a similar pumping journey. And then her second daughter was born literally right around the same time Lilo was born. And she is exclusively breastfed. So even in the same like genetic scene, like family, you know, it's just anything could happen. Right. And so who knows? Like, I think in general, my takeaway from both experiences is that we just don't have enough institutionalized support for moms, whatever choice they make. Right. It's not about, oh, formula is better or breast milk is better. It's like, what do you want for your family that works for you and your family? And how can like we help you achieve that? Right. But that thing isn't in place. And so basically moms are left to navigate on their own and they make, you know, I think when you're in that haze, like you said, Susan, oftentimes we just want the least or the easiest path forward. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And I just wish we had a better mechanism for supporting moms, like to help them plan ahead of time what would make sense for them, you know, and that doesn't exist in the U.S. at least. Sorry. Can I um, I feel like this is a really important PSA. I was like, I need to say this. Okay, so if you have a baby and it's like actively sucking on your breast, but for some reason you need to get him or her off, what you want to do is you want to break the suction first. You want to like, you know, put a finger between your boob and your baby's lips and break the suction. Okay, it's like a suction cup on something. You want to break the suction and then get him off, right? You don't want to just pull yank him off your boob because that's going to give you a nasty bruise on a very sensitive area of your body. Sorry, I just wanted to say that, but I felt like nobody told me, which is how I ended up with this, like, you know, very, very painful, like blood bruise on my nipple. It is a crazy thing that you just get discharged. No one walks you to your car. You just leave and all of a sudden you're a parent. And would it hurt anyone? Like, because you get so many handouts all the way up until like having the kid. Like, this would be a critical thing to laminate, you know, or like when you go to the pediatrician for the whatever, one day, three day visit, whatever, someone should give you this handout. You know, like, why is this missing? I remember when Art was born, he had jaundice. And so the first few days home, he was in this like a little spaceship with like a light box and people would come one to two times a day and draw his blood and like check in on him and all this stuff. And it was like, yes, that's what that baby needs to live, right? I know we're in America. We've got privatized healthcare. It's totally messed up. When I talk to our Canadian friends, they're always like, wait, break it down for me. How does this work? You know, like it's so foreign to them, our experience. But would it just hurt the healthcare? Like if we were the lawmakers, right, of what is standard care and if money was no issue and labor supply was totally vast and amazing, would it be so hard that a lactation consultant would come visit you on day one, two, or three, to your bed, instead of you having to get up, pack all your shit, somehow get you and your baby to a little office, and you wait 20 minutes, and then you talk to them, and 
what I've heard from other girlfriends is that lactation consultants seem angry and mad at you and say you should try harder. I've heard that from numerous people and it freaked me out. And so that was also going on in the back of my head of like, Mm. I can't have anyone disappointed in me. I'm fully disappointed in myself right now. Like, I just can't try another thing. Like, so I'm going to say, like, I don't know a lactation consultant personally. I'm sure there's very kind ones out there. But the whole just like searching for the right one or whatever, it's like, I don't understand why they can't just come to our house. Well, yeah, no, you're right, Susan. There's a huge variability in lactation consultants. I did get seen by one at Swedish both times. Yeah, me too. I can tell you, I'm sorry. There are you exactly. Ones? Yes, even the one that I saw in Cambridge, she, she, I did see a lactation consultant, and the the whole pulling Isaiah off my boobs happened like the same day. She just looked at me and she's like. You seem good. And then it was like literally like three minutes and then she like walked out. Yeah. The in-hospital ones are like very, very variable. And you're right, Susan. It's like one of those things where the mom network is helpful because remember our friend Casey, she's the one who directed me to my current lactation consultant who is non-judgmental, like just such a wonderful, she's like a therapist, lactation consultant, like that's what you need, whatever, all in one. She does home visits which, you know, we pay for out of pocket, but at least we can get it reimbursed. But like, I don't think most lactation consultants are like her. You're right, Susan. A lot of stories I hear are judgy, mean, like stressed out lactation consultants, and you have to go see them. And so it's just really hard. I think it's because in our culture, we don't value and the training's very variable, right? So you have this wide range of variability. And again, it's also all on us to kind of figure out what's the good one? Like, you know, how do we get that person? And the good ones are always expensive because they do at-home visits, right? They're, it's like your insurance doesn't directly reimburse. So it's just all these other things involved. And to be honest, at one point, I was schlepping Lila around four different specialists in one week. And I like literally had a meltdown because I was like, I don't like, this is such a fucking black hole. Like I had no support. I had to coordinate between all of the specialists myself because in the United States, like there's no holistic care for lip tongue tie, these feeding issues. And so you as a parent have to coordinate the care. Luckily, all four of our service providers knew each other, but it's not like they were going to like get into a room and like powwow, right? I had to manage them. And Nerev, by the way, this is one just you guys always think having a doctor husband is really helpful with medical things sometimes, but sometimes not. Like I actually got really mad at him because I was like, I'm the one taking the baby to all these fucking appointments while I'm postpartum on no sleep. And I was like, you don't even believe in this. You're not very helpful. I was so mad at him. I mean, it's not really his fault. He couldn't do anything other than ask his dad who like poo-pooed the situation. But like, I felt really alone. It was like me versus the system. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like when I was getting literally one and a half hour chunks of sleep at night. Yeah. And I was just like so delirious. I actually had a total meltdown on the phone with my lactation consultant after I saw another one because my regular lactation consultant wasn't free and the other one stressed me out. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just stressed out. And she was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And she was very calm. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. Thank you so much for like being a wonderful person. Right. So I had a happy ending, but there are so many ways in which this could have had a bad end. But why is it on the mother to navigate their own health care? Like, it's just nuts like can we just also talk about how kate you were feeling so stressed at one point you you hit your car and your garage door oh yeah well that was like a couple weeks ago that was more like constant sleep deprivation yes for the last five months but yes that happened last week like two weeks ago you know what i mean and it's just kind of like i mean not knocking you on the car thing it's more like oh gotta make spreadsheets and like keep track of like the last time you called them maybe you have to follow up again and scheduling the thing like does it work in your insurance if not you're gonna super bill okay what's the process for that and that's only 30 percent. or you're gonna price compare somebody else and who's actually available for the next available appointment it's just like isn't there a startup here like i'm just like this is just so archaic yeah maybe 
I don't know. I mean, I think that the other thing, though, is it's like a costly time of life, right? And so it's also just hard to spend more money on, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like the needs are great. And then like, the resources are like the same. <laughs> so it's like, okay, is there a need here? Yes. But is it like a need that can be paid for, like in the system we live in? Like, I'm not so sure. You're right. And then something like this, which is a feeding issue, it's not like a life or death issue like cancer in that worse, you know, I mean, she was getting food. It was more of a functional issue of her being able to like, actually eat better and eat more. Also things like this, and maybe this is also part of the reason why, you know, the traditional healthcare establishment doesn't take it as seriously or like certain procedures are elective, right? It's because it's not like chemo where you have cancer. And then, you know, there's like a very clear cause effect. It's more about like quality of life than like mortality. Correct, exactly. But that quality of life can really be devastating for, you know, actually in this case, I feel like maybe more the parents than the baby, right? In the sense that if it really hurts for a mom to nurse or if you're trying to take your kid to all these appointments, it still sucks. It's not something that is, yeah, again, like a disease type issue. So wait, I mean, Kate, we're really good friends. So I feel like I can do this. Can I ask you something super obnoxious? Sure. <gasps> If you didn't have the money to do it, would it have been the same outcome? No, I don't think so. Like, because you knew that it could be better, but maybe some people just don't know it could be better and it's sufficient. Exactly. So I think what would happen, well, the problem is she wouldn't even take a bottle, right? So usually babies with lip or tongue tie, they'll take a bottle. My situation was pretty extreme in that she wouldn't even take a bottle. So it's like I couldn't even outsource in the beginning. And then I don't know if that would have how that would have gotten better if we hadn't had the procedure. It's sort of like what you don't know is what you don't know. But for sure, if we hadn't had the money and even the resources, we like really lucked out with a couple of providers, right? Who it kind of just everything fell into place. But like for sure, the outcome would have been dramatically different. 100%. No doubt about it. How would it have been different? Well, I mean, if she eventually took a bottle, probably pumped well I don't know because maybe she I don't know if she would have taken a bottle do you know what I mean yeah like or at what point she would have taken a bottle if we hadn't done that procedure like it's just really hard to disentangle all of those things Amy worst case scenario if she did take a bottle then I could just pump right like I did with Raya uh, and I'm pretty good at pumping because that was what I did with my entire first time around and there's totally nothing wrong with pumping but I really wanted to nurse so I wouldn't have gotten what I would have preferred right Let's assume. Oh, you didn't you didn't nurse at all with Raya? Yeah. Uh, I only did a, a little bit and then only at night. She wouldn't nurse during the day. So I mostly pumped. I was like almost an exclusive pumper, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know. Like uh, it definitely would have had a different outcome. Or maybe she might have not gained as much weight or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I wonder the other part. I mean, going on me since I miss guilt here is like maybe you also have guilt that you weren't the best mom. Like you knew you could have done this to be the best that you know you could have given more full effort to do X, Y, Z, and then you did it. And you know you did it, you know? There's definitely a part of it, Susan, you're right, in that if that came from Raya, because the first time around, I didn't think that breastfeeding would be that hard. So I, like, didn't have any lactation help lined up. And I had the worst, like, engorgement the first week. And Raya had a hard time nursing because, like, you know, the milk wouldn't come out. So I kind of just, I don't want to say I gave up and pumped, but that was just, like, the easy solution. I didn't have anything lined up. So I felt, in a sense, the second time around, since I had more awareness of the support that I could have to make, you know, like nursing work, I felt like I owed it to myself and my kids to kind of try to make that work. Does that make sense? It's still a mom guilt mm -hmm. kind of thing where I felt like the first time my ignorance, I mean, I, I was still very lucky to be able to pump and like provide milk for the baby, right? But honestly, the pump drove me crazy toward the end. I like wanted to like just throw it, like flush it down the toilet. Because I mean, if you've ever like pumped or exclusively pumped, like it's just so many parts. 
so much sanitizing, just so much. Yeah, I hate it pumping. It's like I couldn't uh, use any of the hands-free bra, like hands-free pumping bras. Why not? I don't know, like maybe my boobs are too small or something. I don't know. It didn't hold like the pump parts in the right place. And they would always just like fall off or like not be able to like stick to my boobs to get the suction. Wait, did you get the different size flanges? Yeah, yeah. I had different size flanges and all of that. I think it was just more like how my body is. And so every time I pumped, I'd have to just sit there for 15 minutes plus just holding these plastic parts to my boobs. And I just didn't like it. I pumped some with both of my kids. But I would say it was like one third bottle and two thirds like nursing with both of them and extra pump. Pink one or the number two? Which one? For the first one, I had the pink one with just like the you have to plug it into the wall. And then for my second time around, I got the battery operated one so that I could take it around without having to be close to an outlet. Ooh, that's cool. Susan, pumping is the whole like women should get a fucking degree in pumping. I'll tell you, because when I was pumping for Riot, the first two months, I exclusively pumped for her, basically. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent scrolling the internet while I was pumping, looking for ways to reduce my pumping time and to make pumping better. Like many hours. I have like a PhD in pumping now because I can tell you by the time like Raya was two months old, I had my whole pumping routine down. I had these third party flanges that I use with my Medela pump and I could get my pumping time down to less than 10 minutes and I just get a lot of milk and it was not painful. But you know, the amount of time I spent researching all the different components to Frankenstein together to make the optimal outcome for me because I have what are called elastic nipples. Like my nipples, this <laughs> tissue is just really elastic. Like if you watch them getting pumped, you can Google elastic nipple pumping. They get pulled really far into the flange tunnel. <laughs> You're like literally a cow. Yeah. This is like getting a little graphic. And so actually I laughed when Jeanette was mentioning, you know, um, Isaiah like pulling on her nipple. Well, I have really elastic nipples. So if my baby pulls on my nipples, it actually doesn't hurt because they stretch like Play-Doh or whatever. <laughs> I'm serious. It's a thing. Anyway, my point is, sorry, Susan, you look very shocked and disgusted. I just learned a lot about you right now. Yes. So my point is because I had the situation, I had to like spend all this time looking for how do I make it better for me? And then like, I couldn't use the standard Medela flanges because they hurt too friggin' much. So I had to go find third party ones and spend extra money and extra time experimenting around. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, you don't like, okay, so the flanges have different millimeter sizes. Yeah. And maybe a quick glossary for, again, people who are not familiar with the pumping world. So flanges are the parts of the pump that go directly on your boobs. They look like funnels. They look like funnels. You put them on your boob and it can... It sucks your nipple into the tunnel. Yeah, exactly. And then it connects to like a little engine, like a motor that that's like a vacuum that creates the suction. And then the milk like goes through your phalanges and then goes through these tubes into the bottle. So I, sorry, I just wanted to like, I don't want to like assume that all of our listeners know what phalanges are, right? Yeah. Also, there are wearable pumps like the Willow and let's just wrap up the Spectra thing. Hold on. Oh, okay. And the Medela, which basically if they're very similar. Right. So... Most insurances will give you a free one. I think all. I think now, like because of the Affordable Care. Oh, is that federal? That's great. <laughs> yeah, because of the Affordable yeah. Care Act, it's like law now that every health insurance needs to provide at least one pump to a new mom. Cool. So these flanges, they have different sizes, but it's kind of hard to buy the size until after your boobs start having milk in it. Is that accurate? Yeah, because your nipples, they change. Yeah, and your boobs change. Yeah, exactly. They change. And so there's three different sizes, I think, what I saw. No, there are many, 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 many. Well, whatever. It goes like 25, 27, <laughs> 29 millimeters or something. 
Dude, those are huge ass nipples, honey. They're people who have 15 millimeter nipple sizes. Okay, if you don't jump into the rabbit hole, then there's three. If you do jump into the rabbit hole, apparently there's like a million. But see, like whatever the scenario is where all of a sudden you have to start pumping. So for me, that was day one and I wasn't planning on it. We have the flanges it comes with. I didn't know that there was other sizes. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know either. And then you don't know like, oh, they just said the milk takes a while to come in. Yeah, and it's kind of painful, but I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, you don't know what you should experience. And then for me, I had the Spectre 2, the pink one plug-in wall there's two things that you can change like intensity there's letdown mode and expression mode yeah whatever oh no spectra is a little different it has suction and then like intensity same concept oh is it okay yeah yeah same concept i read the manual i'm like you know postpartum state like barely functioning and i'm trying to read the manual and i actually don't know how to program the spectra like i don't know what's your combination that you should be doing it's like four buttons right there's too many variables yeah like shouldn't that be in the manual it's not like that intuitive right and and they don't tell you so there's basically like a fast suck like there's a mode where it's sucking like one two three four one two three four like it's fast the first one is the letdown expression is the yeah yeah the first one yeah expression is like the slow it goes one two one two and basically it's supposed to mimic the way the baby stimulates your breast to squeeze out milk, right? So if you see a baby nurse, when they first latch, they suck very quickly. And then it sends a signal to your body saying like, hey, baby's there. And then your body squeezes the muscles in your chest to push the milk out. And then once the milk starts coming out, you see the baby sucks like there's longer intervals between swallows. It's supposed to mimic that. But I agree. Like I read that manual too. And you're just like, what is this like fast mode and slow mode and why? Like when should I use which? A woman needs to write that manual. Because I was so confused. I tried to Google a couple of things, couldn't come up with it. And my only objective was, let's hurry this along, right? And so I was like, get up. When it was time, when my breast felt engorged, I always had this the Korean seaweed soup with some rice already in it. I just like already like just put it in the microwave, heat it up, like get the hot water boiling to make my like lactation tea. And then I start like putting on the bra. I will say Casey got me onto the Kindred Bravely bras, the pumping bras. They are so comfortable and amazing. Like I would have never paid that much for a bra and I bought three of them because I was like, this is saving my life right now. So Jeanette, I didn't have to hold like you. Oh yeah, Uh, maybe I should have tried. I just did like Amazon pumping bras probably, which were not good. Well, the first day when I started, we didn't even have a bra because we didn't even think that I had to pump. Then Marvin drove to, what's that? Bye Bye Baby Store or something? And he bought this Mm -hmm. little flimsy thing that looked like a sport bra with holes in it. And I was like, you spent (laughs) how much money? He was like $50. And I was going to throw them out. But at that point, I was just like, my glasses were just like slipping down my nose. And I was in a robe. And I was just trying to like do something. And I was just standing because I couldn't sit. And I was just standing trying to pump, trying to get these flanges to get sucked onto my boobs. Like it was like the worst and then finally he gave me the, the sport bra with a hole in it and it made it slightly better. But I just, I had no idea. So then there's like these like sport bra, these bras that you can put the flanges in and whatever. And then there's also like, like Old Navy had all these like tank tops. Oh yeah, the clip down tank tops. Yeah, the camisoles. Yeah, those were kind of nice. They were like cheap and they get dirty and get wet and smelly with your milk, whatever. Anyways, the point is, by the time I made sure I was all ready and suited up with my flanges, then my soup my miyoko soup or whatever was ready or whatever meal i had ready and i would sit there 
And I would just, I didn't know what numbers to press. So I just kind of was like, what's the most pain I can take right now? <gasps> no, Susan, you did it. I did it. I did it, dude. So dumb. Because I was like, get out of me, milk. I am going to eat. No. <laughs> I'm going to drink this tea so that I can like get my supply up for the next round. And then maybe I'll watch like. It could damage your nipple, Susan. You know, oh. there's just too much on the internet. And then I just was not ready and i think i had texted a couple people i'm not going to name who the person i texted but she was like figure it out and uh so then that's what i did and then that was pumping for me and can you understand why i was done after three months because it was was also very lonely because at one point i was trying to type you can kind of type but things are just all over like wires and then you got to like take all the parts and clean some of them i didn't get a whole sanitizing machine like kate did i just put my dishwasher in sanitizing mode and just hoped for the best. No, you're, you can do that, by the way. That's like a totally normal okay, way Okay, well, that's what we did. It's like, okay, and then you got to, after you figure out your size of flanges, I bought like two or three more sets because I'm like, we're like rolling through these each day, you know, and I just, or like sometimes you have to hand scrub them because you're just like, I haven't run the dishwasher yet. So anyways, that was pumping for me. But somehow with the insurance, it doesn't say how much you can spend on your pump. There's no price maximum. You mean insurance? Yeah, this is when Marvin was at Amazon because I called them just to <laughs> clarify. So then I bought, which there's all these hands-free ones. Yeah, the LV, I remember. I got the LV. Yeah, so I got the LV. Somehow I jiggered the system because you can like get one before you have a baby and after you have a baby. There's some interesting clauses. I think some insurance allow you to have two. Right. Yeah. And then uh, I used the LV for a little bit because I wanted to type at the same time. But I got to tell you the worst stupid Susan story in the world. Tell us. I was like two months postpartum. I was like, mama needs to leave the house. And then uh, my girlfriend's like, let's go mushroom hunting. I'm like, we're doing it. I'm like, Marvin, I'm leaving today. So we're out picking mushrooms, but it's like really like humid. And then there's like a lot of mosquitoes everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, this is like a really bad day for mushroom hunting. And I'm out there like in the woods. And then like, I was like, oh, my boobs are starting to hurt. So I was like, don't worry. I got the LV. I put it on. Like I take off my shirt. It's the bare woods. Like, and then the mosquitoes are all buzzing around. And I'm like, go. And like, it just doesn't turn on. And it's just kind of sitting there. I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And then I was like, oh my God, I'm so screwed. So I was like, Abby, Abby, we got to go to your car right now. And I need to charge these things because the thing is, is with the LV, it's like you had to charge it after every time, like after every time. You know what I mean? Like the batteries would just like die immediately. And I'm trying to charge it in her like cigarette lighter thing. And then finally I'm like, Abby, we got to drive. We got to drive to the nearest Popeye's. I'm hungry. (laughs) I need Popeye's. And we need the car to be running so it's like pumping, you know? And it was just like mushroom hunting over. We didn't find any morels. And then like my boobs are hurting me so bad. And she's like speeding to the nearest Popeye's just so I can pump and then eat something. And it was like the worst day ever. Yeah, I mean, things work until they don't work, right? Like I had a similar experience with my, I had the willow and I was so excited about it. My insurance actually covered it, which is pretty rare at the time. But like everything kept breaking down, like literally every other time I used it. And luckily I had a backup, like the Medela, right? But I was like, man, if you're already trying to spend time pumping and your pump thing breaks down, like every other time you use it, it's just like, you know, it's 
even really great ideas and things that are supposed to liberate you, you like forget to charge it or like something not related to you goes wrong. It just throws everything off for a loop, right? I mean, one of our mom friends, very ambitious, and she succeeded in commuting to work while pumping with her willow. And I was like, how? I mean, that's great. It's not even malfunction, but that's great. But like, if it exceeds, what is it? Five ounces, five millimeters, five something. It, it just shuts off. Yeah. yeah, five ounces. And then you're like, you still have milk. Like you know, sometimes one boob would like make more than the other for me or something. Like sometimes I was like all six ounces like each day for some reason. And then it's like it shuts off and you're like driving or you're doing something and then it's like there's still milk in there. Like that's not a happy boob. This made me think about like recently I went to a wedding and at that point Ruth was over a year and a half. Clearly she was still nursing and but she was just nursing for comfort. So I was like, oh, she's not drinking that much. So I go for a overnight trip, one and a half day trip to a friend's wedding. And this was like the first night I was going to be away from her. And then I realized like at the end of the wedding that my boobs were just like so full and leaking that I probably am not going to be able to go overnight without getting the milk out somehow. And so it's like the emergency run to the target, right? Like last 10 minutes before closing, I run in and I look in the pumping aisle and there's just like the one last manual pump left. And I'm just like, thank you, God. I like buy it. I run back to the hotel room and I'm manually pumping some of the milk out so that, you know, I don't get mastitis. And the craziest story related to this that I heard is it's like a friend of a friend. She went to her husband's company retreat to some resort in Mexico. She left the baby with grandparents. She went to this thing and she forgot her pump. No. Yeah. And so she was like totally engorged. And guess what her solution was? Oh, had her husband suck it out. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of these situations where like if you have like mastitis <laughs> or, but you don't have like a baby available and like some husbands will try to help, you know, because adults have stronger suction power than babies, right? Oh my God, how long did that session take with a child versus an adult? <laughs> I don't know. That's where the story ended when I heard it. Did he spit it out or did he ingest it? You know, like wine testers or like... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, breast milk is very nutritious. Have you guys, so just out of curiosity, has anybody tried their own breast milk? I haven't, which is really weird because I've tasted like a little bit of it, you know, like I'll dip my finger in there and put it in my mouth. I hear it's very sweet and rich. Yeah, it's very sweet. You said you, yeah. yours is creamy. I have been told that mine is extra creamy. Oh yeah, like the other day when oh, we were yeah. together, we're working yeah. on a book right now and we got together to to do a little workshop and, and Kate was pumping and Susan and I were both like, wow, your milk is like so creamy. Uh, I was like, mmm, frothy latte. <laughs> I mean, I did offer some to you guys to turn into a latte if you want. I know, I should have drank it. Actually, I watched this joke online where this mom served her husband like a matcha latte, but she had subbed like her breast milk in oh, for like actual cow's milk. And he, he didn't know. He was like, oh, wow, this is so good today. Some people, it's like a fetish for them, like a sexual fetish. Really? So I don't want to like get into that too much, but yeah. Oh, you mean you've like looked into it and it's like a thing? No, on Google incognito mode. <laughs> no, no. Where was I reading this? Yeah, I read a lot of random articles. I This was from like a reputable news source, like the New Yorker or like the New York Times or something. Like New York Post. <laughs> <laughs> but there was an article about, I guess, like a somewhat famous porn star or she's like a sex worker, but she's pregnant. Or she just had a kid, like on her own. She doesn't have a long-term partner. And the article was about what it was like to be a sex worker that was pregnant and then like recently had a kid. And she was just talking about like, you know, 
about that. And it wasn't in this oppressive way or anything like for her, you know, she thought about sex work as a very freeing thing for her. A lot of my own thoughts on that, I'm not going to go into, but like, I remember one of the things that she was talking about is like some of her clients, I guess you would call them are like actually into the fact that she has breast milk. Sorry. No, isn't that a way to transfer AIDS? Uh, You could transfer AIDS. Right. So it's just like a high risk sexual fetish. Keep going. I mean, I mean, I I don't know if it's more high risk than having sex with somebody who actually having actual intercourse with somebody who has AIDS. Man, gotta drop the gauntlet with that. Yeah. But anyways, what did San Francisco doing? breast milk lattes at some point and then someone had to ban it from the public health department they're like "Mm, i don't know well so it's actually i think in many states again not lawyers but this is my understanding that uh it's illegal to sell human breast milk yeah so there's banks where you could donate them Mm -hmm. and there are many facebook groups out there where you could do an informal unregulated exchange but i mean honestly i feel like it takes a lot of faith in humanity for you to like accept breast milk from somebody you don't know but there are definitely people who are doing it many i have been a donor so i first tried to donate to a breast milk bank but because i took loxetine breast milk banks standards are very antiquated even the lady told me she's like i know it's safe it's just our rules are really old so they wouldn't take my milk. Wait, because you divulged that you were taking that medication? You're supposed to. Or they run a test on it. No, 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 no. You were supposed to divulge, right? It's sort of like an honor system. So I was like, oh, here's the medication that I'm taking, like thyroid medication, like fluoxetine. Anyway, so they didn't want to take it. So I did actually join one of those Facebook groups, Jeanette. There's like one, it's like basically human milk for human babies. And there's like a chapter for every state. So I joined the Washington state one. Some of the posts are really heartrending. You know, you have babies who are preemie, who are born with some sort of heart defect or something. And the moms, you know, really want their babies to have breast milk because of, you know, nutrients, et cetera. It's just, you see all sorts of posts on there, right? Uh, I did donate my breast milk to a few different moms. Most recently, actually, this time with Leela, I have also a big stat, a moderate stat, not that big. Um, and I did donate to a mom whose baby was born with a heart defect, had to have open heart surgery. And because her first baby, she didn't produce very much milk with him. She was like, you know, I probably won't with the second either. So I gave some to her. You know, it's hard, I think, to, yeah. Like I haven't been on the receiving side, right? I've only been on the donating side, I think. And the thing with those groups is that, you know, there are moderators. Like I think there are a few people on there who got kicked out because they like tried to sell their breast milk, which as Jeanette mentioned, is totally illegal and unethical. And generally people do disclose like, you know, I, you know, I have this amount of breast milk. I don't smoke or I'm vaccinated. I'm da da da. But it can also get political because there are, I've seen a lot of requests actually on the group milk from unvaccinated people. Comment on that because, yeah. Anyway. Well, there was also like the flip side of that too, which is like during COVID when there were no vaccinations available. Well, there's still no vaccination available, right? Yeah. Like if you got COVID or if you got vaccinated, there were also people who wanted milk from vaccinated women because it would contain antibodies. And so they wanted to give the antibodies to their infants through breast milk. So there were like probably people who wanted milk from unvaccinated people, but then there were also people who wanted specifically milk from vaccinated or like post-COVID people. Whoa, I feel like that would be a great social phenomenon to like write about. Oh, it's so interesting. Let me tell you, Susan, I read some of those posts for fun now because I'm not actively donating, but I know I'm really (laughs) bizarre (laughs) because I feel like it tells you a lot about human nature, right? Because there are some people who just their kid is like two and they're still looking for breast milk donations. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, go get, let kidding. other people have that breast milk. Like, why are you still asking for breast milk for your two-year-old? They can perfectly drink cow's milk or not cow's milk. That's not breast milk. You know what I mean? Isn't there like some belief that you're like, oh, well, if you can freeze your milk and 
thawed out and like put it over granola for them as they grow up. Like it's good for them. You can milk as per FDA standards. Your breast frozen breast milk is only good for six months in a regular freezer and up to a year in a deep freezer. Beyond that, they cannot guarantee quality or the, you know, whatever. I just don't know how many facts like this you have in your brain. (laughs) I know. That's what I'm saying, though. Right. Like I deserve a Ph.D. in fucking like pumping and breast milk storage. And, you know, oh, by the way, as to top it off, you know what I have to do now? I didn't even tell you guys about this part. Wait, that was a really good pun to top it off. Oh, I didn't mean that. Okay. Thank you. That was unintended. I have high lipase milk. Are you guys familiar with what that means? Do you think I am? Oh, yeah. I think I have heard. Is this like the thing where if your milk sits out for a little bit, then it starts to taste off? Yeah. So lipase is an enzyme naturally found in breast milk. But if you have a lot of this enzyme, it causes the flavor of the breast milk to change, especially when it is cool, like stored in cool temperatures. So for example, like my fresh milk has lipase, but it's fine. It tastes normal. But if I freeze my milk, um, let's say the longer it stays in the freezer, when you defrost it and warm it up, it's perfectly fine. All the nutrients are intact. It's great. But some babies are sensitive to there's like a, I would call it kind of like a grassy flavor to the breast milk. So it's like olive oil. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So some babies are sensitive to it. And so, for example, for Raya, she would never take a full bottle of my frozen high lipase milk, but we could do it 50-50 with fresh milk or formula. So I was like, cool. I, I had heard about it before, so I intentionally tested. Like, I didn't want to freeze a bunch. This this happened to my poor friend. She froze a bunch of her milk, and then after the fact, the baby wouldn't take it. And it was like, oh no, right? So anyway, this time I was like, I'm smart. Right around two months, I'm going to test some of my frozen milk on Leela to see if she'll take it. If she doesn't, there are ways that you can do to reduce the lipase in your milk, which I will tell you about in a minute. So at two months, she took the milk. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I can just keep freezing my milk. Great. Then like a month ago, I tried out my frozen milk on her again. She refused it. And I was like, oh my God, I've been freezing my milk for four months and now she won't take any of it. She would barely even take it mixed in with like my fresh milk. So guess what I'm doing now? Susan, you're just going to be like, why try? But I don't know. I'm just crazy. You're composting it. No, I'm not composting it. It's even worse. So how you reduce lipase in your breast milk is when it's freshly pumped or you've like recently pumped in the last couple of days and from the fridge, you can heat it up gently to exactly 180 degrees Fahrenheit. The degree at which it gets rid of that lipase, but it still maintains and preserves most of the nutrients in your breast milk. Then you cool it down really quickly and then you freeze it. It's called scalding. So I have been scalding my fucking breast milk for the last month. And today we're going to be trying out my scalded breast milk, frozen scalded <laughs> breast milk. I'll be like to see if she'll take it. I don't even know why I'm trying. She won't take it. I give up. I'm just going to donate all my breast milk because I don't want to hey, deal Kate, with it. Hey, Kate, I want you to yeah. know that I'm an executive member of Costco. And I buy Kirkland Signature <laughs> Formula. It's cheaper than Similac, which is the person who probably makes it. Like, this just sounds like a lot of freaking work. People do it, though, Susan. Let me tell you. No, you do it. Yeah, I know, but I'm not the only person who does it. And by the way, I don't even have to do it because I have enough fresh milk for my baby. So I'm just being really OCD. And just in case she needs some frozen milk later on, or if I like die or something happens, you know, it's like the whole worst case scenario. But of course, you could still drink formula. I don't know. By the way, actually, she won't really take formula because we tried it on her for the first time, fed it out, and she'll barely drink half formula, half breast milk. So we got to work on that. Isn't there like 19 types of formula, though? I know, but then like I got to go buy the 19 types of formula. It's terrible. By the way, and this was imported. It's not even import. This is straight German formula, H-I-P-P, hip from Germany. My mom's friend mailed it to us from Berlin during, you know, the height of the formula crisis. So it's like one of those fancy bougie formulas. And she wouldn't take it. You can't buy that online? You can, but like, at, not at the time. Oh, I couldn't find it online anymore. So my mom's friend literally mailed it to us from Germany. So intense. But yes, you can find it online in normal Oh my time. God. I wonder if there's like a cost plus for like 
formula where you like see all the formulas from around the world and you get to choose them and stuff. But anyways, it just seems ridiculous. Okay, when is Leela gonna be like, what does that feed your starting solids? Yeah. We're starting her. I mean, we've already been giving her a taste of stuff, but she'll start officially this week. So she's like five, five months, months now. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I was going to call it baby eating fingers. It's baby led weaning. Oh, baby led weaning. <laughs> um, but then the question is, is when are you going to stop breastfeeding pumping? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel emotionally like very invested now because I spent so much time and energy trying to make it work. So is that called the sunk cost fallacy? Yes, I know. But it's sort of like, okay, it, I'll let her keep feeding until she wants to. I mean, Raya weaned herself at a year, right? She just one day stopped wanting to drink, like feed at night. And that was that. So I don't know. Or maybe I'll just, you know, she'll be too like group and we're, we'll still be going. Let's see. I would say after you hit 11 months, if there's a window in which her baby seems less interested in feeding, just like let it go, I think. Because, you know, then you just don't know when that window will come back or if it will ever come back. And then it will be a battle to, you know, get them off the boob. Because I just remember I, I breastfed Isaiah until he was like 16, 17 months. And but there was a window in which when he was around 11 months that he was less interested in feeding. And I was like, oh, we're not at a year yet. Like you have to keep on drinking, you know, so I was kind of encouraging him to continue to nurse. But then that window didn't roll around again for another, I don't know, like five to six months. And then I was like, why? <laughs> like, can we, are we, when are we going to stop? But again, like Ruth was different baby. You know, she never in her whole two years of life, never went through that. Like, I'm not interested in nursing. Like you, people call that a nursing strike where like kids just go through periods where they're not It's a nursing sitting. <laughs> no, strike, nursing strike. Yeah. But if I had seen that window with her, I would have gone for it. So yeah, I don't know. Yes, the wonderful world of nursing. And we didn't even get into the whole psychology of it. You know, I feel like there is a certain amount of like a romanticism about nursing, you know, and definitely like I think it's kind of part of the mothering ideal, which is maybe part of the reason why, you know, we try to do it. And sometimes we feel a bit of a pressure I to mean, do it. I, I see it as, look, if it was super easy and awesome, I see it as the most sanitary practical, functional, and cheapest way to go about it if you had zero problems. Clearly, after talking today, you can run into so many different points in the decision tree in which you're going to have to find other solutions and then solutions for those problems. Do you think it's just like the human race where we face these issues or it's just like modern industrialized societies or it's like animals also face these issues but like, you know, basically like, I mean, I guess like, you know, if they're young can't feed, it's like, there's different outcome. There's no like doctor in the wild to like help them. Yeah. Well, they die. Yeah, they die. I was going to this uh, family farm thing with our family and another family. And there was a man in that family, which I won't specify who this person was, but it was the springtime and the sheep there were giving birth to um, new lambs. Like we literally saw a baby lamb coming out of a mommy lamb. And I was like, oh, good job, mama. I was like, oh, it must be so hard. This person was like, you know, for four-legged animals, it's like way easier. And in my mind, I was kind of like, how the fuck do you know? You don't know. Maybe it's really painful for them and really hard, just like it is for us human women. You know, so I was just like, I think that there is this certain amount of like, this is nature. So it should be easy. Are you going to start a new special interest group, Justice for Animal Women? I'm just saying that we shouldn't assume. You need to cut a guy on his knees and be like, dude, check yourself. <laughs> I know. Have respect for that sheep mama. Oh my God. I know. Uh... Okay. 
All right. Inside thoughts. I was curious the other day when you and your husband, then boyfriend, were dating, what was something romantic that you would do? Like, did you ever go on like a romantic date where you're like, hey, partner, nice call. I'm going to tell you something weird that Marvin and I would do. We met at business school. So in between classes, we would go on these walking dates because it's like, you know, you go to class, like so much information, you like get sleepy, like tired, you know, it's like that. Ah. So we would go walk to the cemetery down the street and then we would walk through all these graves and we would just walk around for like 20 minutes and then we come back to the next class. And I thought it was like the weirdest, coolest thing that I did. And we did it like a few times a week. We're trying to start date night up again like every other week. So we'll always be like, how do we cost minimize? Because then it's like, oh, we rarely like leave art. So like we want to go to a nice restaurant and then we pay the babysitter and then it's like turns into something really expensive. And every time I'm always like, Marvin, to make this cheap, we should just get a beer, <laughs> like a 40, a can of 40 in a brown paper bag and walk around in the cemetery. And he's like, no, like he looks at me, he's like, not in grad school anymore. Anyway, so that was what we used to do that was really romantic. What was a romantic date that you and your partner used to go on before you were married? Can I be sarcastic? Okay. Shopping for investment properties. <laughs> are you are you serious? Yeah. I'm like Redfin Zillow or you're like, no, no, well, no. Like schedule an appointment to go into the house and put on the little booties together and be like, hey, can you imagine us doing it in this room like that? <laughs> uh, not not exactly, but you know, Nara and I broke up briefly after we and then during that time he had like no place to live. So he was like, Oh, let me go buy a, like a multifamily unit so I could live in it, like make some money. That is rich people problems. Oh my god. And then and then and then he he went and like found this place in Panafron and then we made up. And then he was like, Oh, let me come show you this place that I bought because I was really sad that we broke up, but now we can live in it together. I guess that's really hot. <laughs> I I'm sad. I so I bought us a house. I mean, that's kind of really awesome. Or maybe it's kind of like a bird, you know, how some species of birds make nests and then the female bird comes around and she assesses the nest. And then if the nest is satisfactory, she will be with him. Maybe it's kind of like that. So Kate's a bird? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just saying that it's not like out of animal nature. You know, there's other analogies to this. No, I can see that as hot. I'm like, oh, okay. My little child boyfriend has become a man and like he'd taken on debt Ooh, is that equity in your pocket are you excited to see me okay Jeanette how about you what was a romantic date that you would go on that was really that really impressed you well I was also going to say walking dates we used to take really long walks around everywhere around Cambridge and Boston I love those but you already said that one so I'll pick something slightly different and it's not a date but when Jake used to come see me um so Susan and I, when we were in college, we lived in a, a corner of campus that's called the Quad that's kind of separate from the rest of Harvard campus. And it's a little bit of a walk, it's a mile almost. The full name is the Quadrangle. Yes, yes. As if we weren't nerds enough. Keep going. And Jake did not live there. so But he would come visit me on a fairly regular basis. And when he would show up, he would also on a fairly regular basis bring me flowers. But these were flowers that he had picked from people's yards along the way. And sometimes they would still have roots on them. <laughs> you guys don't seem as amused. <laughs> but like he... <laughs> I mean, a part of me, I think in the Cute. beginning, yeah, in the beginning, I was like, you know, you're like stealing these plants from people's yards and you're kind of ruining their gardens. But over time, I kind of became endeared, I think, to this because to me, uh, 
encapsulated some of Jake's personality at the time and of which like still is around, you know, which I would say is like his basic thought process seems to be, oh, like, I like this flower. I want to give this flower to Jeanette. And, you know, this person is going to be fine with me taking one flower from their garden. You know, let me yank it out instead of using scissors or, you know, doing it in some kind of like. I mean, if he did it so often, why wouldn't he just like come with shears? You know what I mean? Like, like if it was a thing. Well, why should you carry around shears when you just have your hands? And over time, I think I just became more endeared to this aspect of his personality. How many total bouquet flower arrangements do you think you received from him? That's far in your life. Like ones that you buy at a store? No, no. Like just this oh ritual that he did. Give me some scope here. Oh, he doesn't like pick flowers from other people's yards anymore. I think that stopped after college. But Jake is pretty romantic. And I would say that he is like, you know, love languages, like gift giving is one of his love languages. And so, yeah, it's a pretty regular flower giver, I think. Like if he goes to a grocery store and he sees some flowers, he'll just like buy them and bring them home. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I tell that to Marvin all the time. I was like, it's really easy to buy my favor. It costs $20. And he's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And then he'll get the really shitty ones from Trader Joe's when I do a show. And it's like, they're okay, but like, I want like a beautiful bunch of flowers. And then he'll be like, oh, And I have to like tell him to buy them for me. Well, yeah, I mean, it just always doesn't turn out the way you expect. Like I remember this other time I was doing this internship in Mexico. So he wanted to send me flowers, but I was like in the middle of nowhere. So he used one of these like networked flower delivery services. And one day this guy shows up with like 24 long stem roses, except the stems were like, could you not like four feet? You said long stem. Yeah, they were like really long stem and they were not the thorns. So they had like these huge thorns on them. They were like, yeah, this was like rural Mexico, like delivery boy all (laughs) bloody when he gave it to you. My fingers were bloody after I got it from him. And the card was transcribed from the email, but it was misspelled. I still have it in a box somewhere. So it's kind of like that, you know, where it's like not quite like all together, but like very cute and very sweet. And I feel like that was one of my many fond memories of Jake. It's nice. It's really (laughs) nice. You know, I was I was hanging out with a girlfriend the other day because we were talking about the podcast. She's like, oh, my God. Me and my husband are the trashy version of Jeanette and Jake. Jeanette. Yeah, that's your celebrity name. Jeanette. 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 Yeah. She was like, she said she was a trashy version of you two. And I was like, oh, I was so jealous. I was like, is there a trashy version of me and Marvin out there? Well, what does she mean by a trashy version? Keep you guessing. I, okay. <laughs> she just feels like not as good of her. I don't know. It, I thought it was just hilarious that she came up with that. I was like, okay. Now you want a trashy version of you and Marvin. Well, I just was like, you know, like say we're like the Spice Girls or like Sex in the City. Like, which character are you, you know? There's not one character I really identify with. No, I mean, maybe there's a listener out there that identifies with one of us more than the other. You know, we could could be bobbleheads. Oh, (laughs) someday. Something to aspire to. And that's it for Inside Thoughts. We hope you found something helpful, reassuring, or interesting in this episode of Model Minority Moms. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us spread the word by texting a friend about our show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, please visit our website at modelminoritymoms.com or follow us on Instagram where we love receiving messages from our listeners.